0: We are just hours away from a key moment in Canada. Weed will be legalized across the land of our neighbor to the north. But check out the moving pot stocks today. Kronos, Canopy, Till right. That's right. That was a historical moment, both for Canada, but also for stock market investors like you and I, who are looking to invest in well-operated companies in growing industries. But for me, there has been three big concerns so far that have prevented me from investing in this sector valuations, regulations, and fluctuations. Mathematically, if you look at pot stocks, they are extremely overvalued.
1: Is the sector overvalued? Yes. Full stop. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It is overvalued.
0: Also, if you look at the cannabis sector in the United States, federally, it is still not legal and that means any changes or any news or notion about legalization of the sector or n- lack of legalization of the sector creates massive fluctuations and massive swings in the stock prices.
1: So when Attorney General Jeff Sessions tore up the call memo, the uh, stock market went into absolute panic. I mean, literally, if you're going to have a look back in sort of that January 18 uh, month, You know, the global cannabis index dropped, I think it was about 60% in three weeks.
0: And that brings me to the last point, which is all about extreme price fluctuations in this industry. Investors in pot stocks need nerves of steel in order to be able to tolerate how rapidly the stock prices will go up and how rapidly they fall down. It needs nerves of steel to invest in this industry. But despite all those concerns, cannabis stocks have been one of the best investments in the past few months and quarters, and every investor has a big question to answer. Should I invest in pot stocks? From StockGuard.io, this is Renegade Investors, the show that rebels against the conventional wisdom of investing. We are Hoda and Arash, your hosts and the co-founders of StockCard. The conversation in this show is not investment advice. The hosts and their guests may or may not have invested in the companies we discuss. Don't make investment decisions solely based on what you hear on this show. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Hoda, co-founder and CEO of Stockard and the host of Renegade Investors Podcast. Long-term listeners of the podcast and users of a stock card tool know that every month we introduce a new investment theme. Bet on China, emerging India, and the death of Moorla are some of those themes that we have explored in previous months. As we enter into month of May, we are about to introduce the latest investment theme for our stock card community. And that theme is the one and only cannabis industry. If you're new to this industry, don't you worry because you and I are both in the same boat. I have only invested in a few cannabis stocks or pot stocks and this is an industry that I haven't really dug deep into in details. That's why I wanted to bring an expert to this conversation who has been investing in the industry and who has an extensive knowledge about what's going on that can answer the three questions that I have about valuations, regulations, and fluctuations in the industry. Today is going to be the part one of my conversation with Mark Bernberg, a technology entrepreneur living in Australia, who is also the founder of thegreenfund.com. He is also the portfolio publisher behind the Stock Cards Cannabis Focus portfolio and theme that is going live in just a few days on the Stock Cards Portfolio Store. And next week, as we take the Green Fund live on the Stock Cards Portfolio Store, we're going to have part two of the conversation with my guest. And that will be all about... Where to start, what kind of company to pick, and how would you go about evaluating different kinds of companies that are that are active in the cannabis sector, from those who are focusing on cultivations all the way who are focusing on branding and pharmaceutical and um, uh, beyond just pure production. So, without further ado, I want to get to my conversation with my special guest, Mark Bernberg, founder of TheGreenFund.com and the publisher of a portfolio with the same name on StockCard's Portfolio Store. Let's get to it.
1: Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Hoda. Thank you very much for having me.
0: For listeners, uh, because they don't know you, we're going to go through a little bit of introduction. Of course, um, you and I have started talking a few years ago and uh, I remember at the beginning, you, you were already a stock market investor, um, but you were thinking about starting your cannabis-focused, um, I guess, website and business and um, a newsletter and all sort of content. Since then, you've come a long way and you, you are now my unique source when I want to go and read about cannabis industry, cannabis stock. Um, maybe let's talk about the Green Fund, how it all came about.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, it's been a pretty wild ride. So I'll take you um, a little bit back. Yeah, I've obviously been a stock investor for um, a number of years. But to be honest, Hoda had had never really considered the cannabis sector or industry. I'd exited my last company, which actually was a tech business in late 2016, and decided to take quite a long break and go back to South Africa for two months. Uh, My brother was getting married there and I figured it was a good time for a holiday. And um, while we were chilling out in sunny South Africa, um, his best man uh, who was going to be at the wedding was a day trader from Toronto and just one of the craziest Canadians I've ever met. And literally, this guy did not stop talking about pot stocks and cannabis and weed for the full three weeks that he was there. Um, Mm -hmm. At the time, and this would be early 2017, I'd never heard of Canopy Growth and Afria and Aurora and all of them. And his enthusiasm and just the way that he was talking about the sector really got me interested. And when I returned to Sydney in Australia back in, I think it was early February of 2017, I started to read and it was like going down a rabbit hole. I mean, it's the only way I can describe it. The more I read, the more I realized this was this was not just some sort of, you know, little uh, stoners pot industry. This was a, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar booming industry that was opening up on a global scale, and, and and most people didn't even know about it. About six weeks later, I developed my thesis, which is that I honestly think that cannabis is going to be the greatest healthcare disruptor uh, since penicillin, and I think that it is going to have a significant impact on healthcare and medicine in 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 being able to tackle some of these diseases that traditional med- medicine up till now just hasn't been able to do. And that led to you know. I had personally started investing in the market around about mid 2017 have been pretty fortunate to have done nicely since then and that's kind of how it all began and um, you know what happened from there is you know I became so effusive about marijuana that i I wanted to talk to anybody that would listen about cannabis, and even if they wouldn't listen, I would just talk anyway and <laughs> so as you know people realized how excited I was getting about it and how much I was talking about it, a lot of people started approaching me with. Hey Mark, I've got five thousand dollars. What should I do with this? Hey Mark, what do you think about this stock? Hey Mark, I'm hearing about pot stocks. Do you think I should, you know, I should be investing in the market? You know, a lot of people started speaking to me to me about these, and and it kind of got to a point where, you know, by by sort of late uh, 2017, I was just tired of having to answer everybody all the time about different stocks and different things like that and so i founded the green fund thegreenfund.com in late 2017 call it early 2018 and really it was a way for me to be able to put down in uh, you know in writing onto paper as such stocks that i was excited about news about the industry and a way for me to actually disseminate this information to people who were asking without having to have you know, hundreds and hundreds of individual conversations. And that's how it was founded. And it it kind of all went pretty gangbusters from there.
0: That's amazing. That's a great story. These these Canadians, you're Canadian friend from uh, you know a Canadian trader friend and I actually have a kind of a similar story from some of my Canadian friends reaching out about the cannabis sector. They're just trouble troublemakers. They keep starting asking <laughs> these was,
1: questions. He was trouble. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he, yeah. he was a he was a crazy guy actually. Well, yeah, some crazy. some
0: are. Yeah, I, I actually so it's a kind of similar story. Um, which is a good segue for the next question I have for you because I have tons of questions for you today is that this Canadian friend, um, like a co work ex co worker from my days in Canada. And, uh, this guy reached out on LinkedIn and say, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I know that you're running stock hard. I have some little cash on the side and I'm thinking about investing in uh, Canopy Growth and Aurora. And what do you think about it? And this is two, three years ago, maybe even before we started having a conversation with you. And uh, I wrote back and I said, I mean, obviously it's a great, great, growth sector, but the legalization is an issue and I'm personally not putting any money into it. So gave him, sent him some quotes from Warren Buffett and I'm like, okay, he'll hope, hopefully he's going to stay away. At the time, it was really a lot of regulations issue, but he wrote back recently and said, well, I didn't really take your advice. Then I invested in it and it's really like it's up 800%. And I was like, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: That's why we're introducing a new portfolio. It's called the Green Fund so that we can take care of all that. The regulations, I think everybody wants to know about regulations and your take on regulation, especially because a lot of our members and, and users of a stock card uh, and even in the broader community um, there are more fundamental investors, um, so they don't want to get in and get out. They want to invest in things that ha- doesn't have those kind of baggages that they don't have any control over. So talk mm-hmm. through your your think thought process from early on, on about regulation and how it's been evolving and how do you think about it now?
1: It's a great question. I, you know, I, I take you back to, you know, 2017 when I sort of first started really doing this on a, on a more full-time basis. And, you know, the regulatory environment was even more shaky than it is right now. You know, we had the massive run-up in late 2017 as California legalized for recreational use on the 1st of January 2018 all pot stocks went. What was went? What was through? What was called the Cali rally? And honestly, it didn't matter. You could throw a, you know, a dart at the dartboard and pick a stock, and it would have been two, three hundred percent up in that sort of late twenty seventeen into twenty eighteen. It was on the fifth of January in twenty eighteen when the then Attorney General of the U.S., Jeff Sessions, tore up what was known as the Cole Memo. Mm-hmm. And the Coal Memo was an Obama administration uh, memorandum issued by then Attorney. Um, Uh, Attorney General Cole, which basically said that while it was in place, the federal government couldn't intervene with any state that was operating under its own legal jurisdiction. So, for example, California had decided as a state to legalize cannabis for recreational use. And the Cole memo essentially meant that the federal government then couldn't come and start to intervene or raid or go after any cannabis companies operating within that legal framework in California. So, when Attorney General Jeff Sessions tore up the coal memo, the stock market went into absolute panic. I mean, literally, if you're going to have a look back in sort of that January eighteen uh, month, you know the global cannabis index dropped. I think it was about sixty percent in three weeks, and mm-hmm. investors absolutely ran for the hills. And rightly so, because what it did really was it said it's now you know an open field. the 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 Fed has the ability now. To go into any legal state, and when I say legal state, I mean medicinally legal or recreationally legal, mm-hmm. and we might talk about the difference in uh, between those two in a minute, but the Fed basically had the right now to go to, you know, there's Hoda, she's applied for a license in California to run a dispensary, she's legally licensed to run a dispensary, she's operating within the law, paying all of the taxes and everything, And there's the federal government arriving at your door, shutting your store down, confiscating your stock, confiscating any cash you might have, and shutting your business down while you're operating in a state legal environment. This kind of legislative environment was too much for most investors. And there was a massive, massive reversal of money out of the market. And at that point in time, it was very much up in the air. How would this be? And I get what you're saying. A lot of investors, if it's just too shaky like that, they'd rather ignore it altogether. But since then, Hoda, there's been significant milestones that have taken place that have very much secured the environment that we're currently operating in. Let's be clear. It is still illegal in the the US at the federal level. And while it remains a Schedule 1 drug, cannabis that is, and it remains illegal at the federal level, there is still a huge amount of risk in operating in the cannabis industry. However, since then, what's happened is in April last year, when Jeff Sessions tore up the coal memo, uh, one of the, the biggest proponents um, of, of legalizing marijuana, Cory Gardner, Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado, yep. he immediately took umbrage to, to what was going on. And so what he started to do is he started to deny um, Donald Trump. He vetoed every single one of the um, Supreme Court nominations, uh, judge nominations that Trump was making until eventually... Trump invited him to the White House in April last year and said, okay, I give you my word. Um, and no, it wasn't done on Twitter. It was actually done face-to-face. I give you my word that the Fed won't get involved. I'm not going to prosecute marijuana companies. And although that was just the word of President Trump, um, it was a it was a big moment in the industry, a big turning point, because suddenly now this gave investors some sort of surety that, okay, the sky is not falling down. You know, everybody can stop panicking and that maybe this is going to get better. And subsequent to that, what we've now found over the last year in 2018 is that more people are now pro-legalizing cannabis than ever before. 67% of Americans are now in favor of legalizing cannabis at the federal level. To give you an idea of how much that is, only 62% of Americans are actually in favor of gay marriage.
0: Mm. So you have
1: more Americans now, according to the latest Gallup polls, that are pro-cannabis than they are pro-gay marriage. At the same time, what's interesting, Hoda, recently is that in the last two polls that have been released for the first time, more than 50% of Republicans are in favor of legalizing cannabis. So what's happened since then is you've also now had the introduction, for example, the Safe Banking Act just got passed in the House uh, two weeks ago by 45 votes to 15. Now, what that allows is that is allowing cannabis companies now the opportunity to finally start doing business with banks. A lot of people don't know this, but right now, most of the cannabis companies, A, are not able to accept accept credit cards and have to do most of their business in cash. But B, there's also a tax rule called the 280E. And what that tax rule applies is it says, any company in the US that is dealing with a Schedule 1 narcotic may not write off any of its expenses in the business against its tax. And so you've got cannabis companies, because they're operating with what is essentially a Schedule One narcotic at the federal level, they really are not able to write off any taxes um, below the gross profit. And so you've got a lot of these cannabis companies, not only are they having to pay most of the stuff in, and deal in cash, but they're paying huge sums of taxes. And that's why the Safe Banking Act has been introduced into the house to go, guys, we need to regulate this because, you know, more than 33 states now are operating cannabis companies and yet they're all operating in cash and they can't write off anything to tax. So much so actually that, I don't know if you saw this, Hoda, but about three months ago, the IRS put out a a job uh, tender or whatever, a job position, a vacancy for people to come and help count cash because they're getting so much cash from the cannabis companies, they can't count it all which is just crazy in its own right. Things are starting to happen now that are creating. So the Safe Banking Act has now moved to the Senate. And again, should that be passed, and I think it could well do, it's a, it's another uh, step in solidifying the legislative environment in which these companies are operating. You're seeing a definite shift to a, a, an environment that is much more um, conducive for investors to have to have – I suppose the security that this is not all going to go tits up, you know, next week and and suddenly go backwards. Uh, this is becoming safer, more structured, and more you know legislatively secure in a, in its an environment.
0: I, I had no idea about that piece of legislation going through uh, the Senate from a banking point of view, because one of my biggest worry was always like, if they cannot move cash, that that's going to be a constant. I actually know a founder or startup out of California, um, Richard, uh, I guess I don't say his last name, Richard, uh, that he, he was working on creating banking infrastructure exclusively for the cannabis sector um, because they couldn't get access to the banking uh, industry. So I knew that this that the regulation is against uh, uh, operating at a federal level and obviously banks are operating at a federal level, but, uh, but it's very interesting that you brought it up. So, I mean, let me be the devil's advocate because on one hand, uh, the regulation... I guess legalization and having all these regulatory barriers removed is good for existing companies, but at the same time, it's bad for existing companies because the more you remove the regulations, the overall industry is going to grow, but the bigger and more established players are going to. Get suddenly be interested because there's no um, legal barrier. So w- w- from a point of view of picking the stocks and investing in the existing companies in this, in this sector, are you worried about at all that as the legalization happened, the existing investments you've made are going to lose value because bigger and more deeper pockets will suddenly now have access and confidence in the sector?
1: It's a great question. We wrote an article at the Green Fund at the end of 2018 talking about trends for 2019. The the last trend and the most important one that we highlighted that we saw as really being applicable to 2019 was consolidation. And we've seen that now with big deals being announced in the US. What I mean by that is right now, the cannabis industry is very cottage um, in, in nature. You know, hundreds and hundreds of small little businesses operating across Canada, across the U.S., globally, funny enough, all over the place, um, with no real massive dominant players yet. Yes, you've got Canopy Growth, but again, backed by Constellation Brands. Yes, you've got Kronos, again, backed by Altria, the makers of Marlborough. Really, what you've got is because it's still illegal at the federal level, you've got hundreds of companies, each operating you know, individually in their state or alternatively what's called a multi-state operator. So companies can operate in various states. Now, there is no doubt that as the legislative environment becomes more clear, more secure, uh, and more conducive to, for institutional business that the big players are going to enter. We still haven't seen Coca-Cola come in, Nestle, uh, you know, Klein, Novartis, uh, Diageo. Yeah, you've got Altria and, and I suppose to an extent, you know, you've got Molson Coors came in with, with, with Hexa last year, but you're 100% right. The big, big players have yet to enter the industry, but that creates an opportunity. I don't believe that that's something that should necessarily be a risk. It's more an opportunity because what is going to happen over the next five to 10 years is there's going to be massive consolidation. There's no need to have 500 cannabis companies, um, you know, each producing cannabis in the U.S. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the alcohol industry, even the pharmaceutical industry, you kind of have your top four or five players. And then there's a whole lot of craft players below that. But you have your top five players. And and I believe the same thing will happen in the cannabis industry. I think eventually, Hoda, if we took a five to 10 year look at this, I think it will be dominated by big pharma, big tobacco and big alcohol. I think those three uh, industries will dominate the cannabis industry uh, in terms of their positioning. But it does create opportunities. You know, for example, you take a company listed on the New York Stock Exchange, GW Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. So GW Pharma is the only pure play pharmaceutical company at the moment in the cannabis space. They had their very first FDA approved cannabis drug called Epidialax, which is for very, very aggressive childhood epilepsy. And this was approved by the FDA in July last year. First ever cannabis based drug to be approved. And they've got orphan status on it for the next ten years. Now, they've got a market cap right now of about what? I think it's about four and a half billion. If you looked at any of the big pharmaceuticals, GSK, Novartis, trying to think, uh, you know, they've got uh, I think it's about two hundred to two hundred and fifty billion in you know in, in in market cap. Four and a half billion is nothing for them. So there's no doubt that if you are a GW Pharma investor. That there is a possibility in the next few years that that company gets bought out and gets acquired. And that's great as an investor because what we've seen in the last two years is that when acquisitions and consolidations do take place, they normally add a premium. You know, right now, GW Farm is trading at about $165. It's our opinion that if there was a a buyout or an acquisition, it would be, you know, north of $200 a share. And so suddenly, you know, there's a 25% premium made right there. We actually don't fear. Uh, the introduction of, of big business into the sector. We welcome it, but it's not going to happen for a while. And so there is a good two, three years, I believe, of making, hey, while well, the sun shines with these smaller companies. But as an investor, if you can have your portfolio positioned such that you take advantage of high growth opportunity over the next two, three years, and as a cream on top, are holding stocks that hopefully are also acquired and consolidated as the industry itself consolidates, then there's a great opportunity for maximizing your returns.
0: Um, but I, it brings me to this question around um, valuations and price because, again, <laughs> me, I, I know you You knew it, this is coming, right? And everybody say that.
1: <laughs> I was waiting it, for this question. And
0: you were waiting for it. I mean, for me, the story got big uh, or the story got concerning when Tilray, I guess, the last year had all these crazy – um hockey sticks i guess 800% growth in in the course of a couple of weeks or something like that how how do you deal with that and how do you justify these these valuations and do you think these companies can actually get there, can 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 ever be that big in terms of growth and even profitability none of them are profitable at this point as far as i know can they grow into these big gigantic valuations that they have right now
1: so that's a great question. If, if I got given a dollar for every time somebody asked me that question, um, I, would, I would be done with what I'm doing. Um, so let, let's, let's, this is the elephant in the room in any discussion you ever have about pot. So let's, let's get it right out front. Is the sector overvalued? Yes. Full stop. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It is overvalued. But you've got to always preference that with context. The one advice, piece of advice I give to a lot of investors who are looking to invest in cannabis is you know, standard investor methodology says, I'm going to look at a fundamental analysis of the company. I'm going to do a technical analysis of the company. And if it just stacks up, and I think it's an opportunity, I'm going to invest. The problem with cannabis companies is, if you look at their past couple of years of, of earnings reports, very, very simple earning report, zero revenue massive cash burn, huge growth potential. Um, and you could almost write that for almost every earnings report that's come out in the last couple of years. Now, that makes for a difficult investing environment because how do I run fundamental analysis on a company that has no earnings, only makes losses, and is being valued on, on what potentially could be, and then overlay that with all the legislative and regulatory risk and you've got an environment that just says, wow, you know what, this is, this is crazy, it's too overvalued, I'm, I'm getting out. Tilray was the worst possible thing that could have happened, but it was also the perfect storm. The problem was something like a Tilray, which went listed at $17, three months later was at $300, Mm. um, and is now currently, I think it's at around about $55. So I want to preface this by saying that in the Green Fund in our weekly newsletter, we told our readers about two months ago that we thought a good buy spot would be $40 to $50. We estimated that it would reach there by about, March or April. It's taken a little bit longer to get there, but it's got all the way back there. There was a big gap um, for our technical, for your technical listeners and readers, there was a big gap on the chart that we always felt would be filled. Tilray was the perfect storm though, Hoda. It was the perfect storm in that a very, very tight float. So for those of stock card listeners that, that maybe are new to investing and getting in, you know, the tight float really just meant that there were very, very few shares put on market that that you and I as investors could buy. And so when you've got a situation with a very tight float and then you get a situation where a stock pops and there's huge hype around it, you get it, You can get a situation where you have a tool rate, where it just went hyperbolic. And the problem with that is, is that to the average Joe Schmo investor that's sitting out there that doesn't know a lot about stocks and investing, is trying to learn, is hearing about pot stocks, thinks this is exciting, is they see this hyperbolic growth on a stock like tool Everybody went nuts about it. And then they start comparing it to the crypto bubble. Exactly. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, well, is mar- is the marijuana stocks and pot stocks just another crypto bubble? And it's not because there are actual fundamentals in place. You're talking about real companies here that are producing real products that are having impact on real people's lives, companies that have real jobs with real employees. So not just sort of the speculative you know, crypto craziness that it could be, it could be, it could be. But Mm -hmm. there are parallels. And so when you have companies like Tilray valued at $20 billion, uh, you know, dollars with like less than a million dollars in revenue, yes, that does put the cat amongst the pigeons that people think this is crazy. The pot stocks themselves currently are overvalued. But does that mean they cannot grow into their value? No. So what do I mean by that? Most of the pot stocks at the moment are being valued on their 2020, 2021, and 2022 earnings potential. And, and this is a fair thing to be valued on because right now, you've got a situation where the market is rapidly, rapidly expanding. The market is also rapidly changing. What I mean by that, the legislative environment is changing. New states are opening. New companies are opening. Companies are... Or buying companies, so there's a lot of flux and there's a lot of movement, and there's a lot of things happening right now. What is clear though is that the tipping point has been reached. This is not going back in the box. Mm. Uh, cannabis legislation is not going to move backwards, there's no doubt about that. Um, there's absolutely no doubt about that. There's only one way forward, and that is eventual global legalization of cannabis. That'll happen. Mm. I might that might take 20 years, 30 years from a global perspective, but that is an inevitability. It's not going back in the box. And therefore it is fair to value some of these companies on what are they going to produce? And the numbers are absolutely frightening. We're talking about an industry here that Cowan & Co, BDS Analytics, New Frontier Data, all of these analytics companies are all coming to the same sort of consensus, which is this could be an industry that for the next 10 years, could grow at 15% compounded per annum. That kind of growth has only been seen in the internet and tech industry since the sort of mid to late 1990s. So when you take into account the kind of numbers these companies are starting to produce, i give you an example, Canopy Growth. That's sort of the doyen of the industry. Everybody seems to know Canopy. You know, Canopy Growth in their last quarter produced nearly $100 million in revenue. Now, you know, yes, they've got a $20 billion valuation. And no, it's not just on the Canadian market. Their valuation is also as a result of the fact that Canopy now operates on six continents. You know, in 20, I think it's 15 different countries. They've already got operations at a beginning. So you have to look at this and say, the company that I want to invest in, is it overvalued? Yes. Move that to the side. Any investor looking to get into cannabis that is going to invest purely on valuation alone is never going to invest. And so I think, you know, that needs to be cleared up. You are investing into a growth area and, you know, with growth comes the potential for for enthusiasm and with enthusiasm can come overvaluation. But these companies are starting to generate real revenue, putting real production in the ground, starting to bring retail to the market, starting to generate real revenue in market. And so they are starting to grow into their valuations. Hmm. What we will find over the next couple of years is that the valuations will start to come back in line with the kind of results they're actually producing. And so hmm. I look at it like, you know, I've got two young kids. My older kid has just turned five. He kind of, his clothes are hand-me-downs to the younger, to his younger brother, who's who's two. And sometimes, you know, when 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 the younger child puts on the clothing, it's quite big for him. But we're not going out to buy new clothing because that's just how second brothers are. But he grows into that clothing until eventually it's too small. And I feel that you could use that same metaphor in that right now, a lot of the pot stock companies have got clothes that are too big for them. Does that mean that they can't grow into that? No. And I think if you are smart in the way you select your companies, if you use fundamental and technical and then, you know, some assistive investing uh, assistance from companies like the green fund nudge nudge wink wink and stock Card, mm-hmm. combining together to bring you a qualitative understanding of where you know a company might right now be overvalued but has an opportunity to grow into that valuation then actually that negates that issue
0: that question concludes part one of my conversation with mark bernberg founder of thegreenfund.com and the publisher of a portfolio by the same name on a stock card's portfolio store, which is going live on May 1st. Stay tuned for next episode of Renegade Investor Podcast, which is the second part of conversation with Mark. And in that conversation, we're going to talk about how would you start a portfolio? Where would you look at? Which kind of companies you want to include? And that will really get into the nitty-gritty of The Green Fund portfolio. Stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Our website is stockcard.io. Stockcard is a cheat sheet for long term stock market investors. Sign up and create a free account with one click. All right, folks, that's it for this episode of Renegade Investors. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you had fun listening to us, give us a review. We read all of your reviews and comments. You may even get featured in the future episodes.
1: I don't know if that sort of answered that question yeah. or created more doubt for you.
0: No, I love it. I, I, it. It actually kind of reminds me of investing in Amazon because I originally picked up Amazon when it was $300. And I guess I just missed the $3 and $83 and $100 of Amazon. <laughs> but by the time I got to it, it was like 300 And then since then... The fair share bucket of the stock card, kind of the two by two that we have for all stock cards and our users are familiar with that um is is has always been red or like that best it's sometimes it gets to a yellow kind of like okay range. It never been green and uh, it's always it's always whenever I pull and i since then I invested in it every now and then, right whenever I was able to do. so and every time I wanted to pull the trigger it was, I had this doubt in my mind, is the company overvalued? And then I exactly gave the same answer that you just said for Amazon. I said to myself, yes, it is overvalued, but let's invest in where the pot goes. And the pot was really good, just going somewhere else, not backwards. So...